right. We are recording. All right. I'm going to try out the new tagline, see if it works. Um, welcome to another episode of A Thing About... Hmm. The Thing of Thought. The Thing of Thought. <laughs> welcome podcast, to... <laughs> an Enneagram podcast for people who think. The Thing of Thought. All right. Welcome to another episode of The Thing of Thought, an Enneagram podcast for people who think. Mario, how's it going today? Going great, Creek. And How you doing today? I'm doing great. I just arrived in London and uh, we have, we're going to see, I, I've waited this long to see the new Bond film um, with friends Ooh. in London. Feels appropriate. So Very, very good. <laughs> very, is, very. The, the movie's excellent. All right. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this is apparently the last day that they're showing it uh, oh, wow. in London. So oh, should be fun. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm you excited. See it there. That's <laughs> yeah. 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 So today we are talking about, um, cl your clear thinking model. You have, um, you've worked a lot on this for what you do, um, in awareness to action. Um, and, and you integrate it into your, into your, I mean, everything that you do, but especially the modules and, and uh, trainings and those sort of things. Um, so we were just talking about how you, you found it, and I see it as well, how um, it's often rather difficult to have a good conversation when you're not working off of the same first principles. Uh, the the ways in which we arrive at a conclusion. So, I guess share share with us a little bit about um, what is this clear thinking model that you've developed, and, and maybe setting out a path for the next five episodes that we're going to be exploring. Yeah, great. So we we've talked about the term epistemology a few times mm -hmm. in the earlier podcasts. And the epistemology is the branch of philosophy that studies how we know what we know. It establishes rules for determining truth. Mm. Okay? Um, and, uh, and, and, and rules, not arbitrary rules, but rules that have been found over time. Uh, rules based on principles and mm -hmm. techniques that have been found over time mm -hmm. to lead to um, clearer apprehension of what is true and what is not right okay. yeah and so one of the challenges we live in as a society today is that we live in epistemic tribes which means that we use our own rules and principles for determining truth regardless of they are you know what are commonly regarded as basic rules mm -hmm. for determining principles of mm -hmm. truth right and so what ends up happening is we end up talking past each other mm -hmm. because we are using different principles for deciding what's true what's not right uh, how we evaluate information mm -hmm. so it helps to go back to okay what are the ground rules for a conversation mm -hmm. okay what are the principles we need to be accepting and adopting? What are the challenges that get in the way of clear thought, mm -hmm. of clear conversation? And how do we mitigate for those mm -hmm. challenges? Yeah. I hear in the back of my head of, of people like, why why are your rules better than my rules as far as how we determine what is what is useful, what is helpful, what is true? 
Um, what would your response be to that? Yeah. So uh, first of all, they're not my rules. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And this is the whole idea of epistemology because we're leaning back to people like Socrates and Plato and mm -hmm. Aristotle and David Hume and uh, all these other great minds who over time have established a consensus for thinking about this. And there will always be variation, right? And epistemology is a field of philosophy that's always growing. And the more we you know, through science and technology, learn about our world, mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 there will be some tweaking of that, mm -hmm. right? We start to under understand our limitations better than we did before. So there will be tweaking of the epistemic rules. But the fundamentals have been what have been accepted in academia and mm -hmm. philosophy and science and education and history and journalism and right. every other field that depends on apprehending the truth. Yeah. So you can disagree with me mm -hmm. or disagree with Socrates and Plato. And there are areas where we can legitimately disagree with Plato because of what we know now, but we have to decide on, uh, there are some ideas mm -hmm. that are better than others. Right. Okay? And I think it's and important. If, Good. Uh, I was just going to say, and if you disagree with that, if you disagree that some ways of thinking are better than others and that all ways of thinking are equal, well, then I just basically dismiss anything you have to say because you're <laughs> saying that what I think is just as good as what you think. So what's I, the I point? I'm going to ignore you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But if we want to have a conversation, we have to have rules. Right. We have to have guidelines. And I think it's important to note that rules and guidelines are not necessarily limitations. I think Absolutely. in our modern society, those those sort of that language immediately evokes a sense of, well, you can't tell me what to do. Like, why does it have to be that? Um, and we we all have rules, whether we re realize it or not. Um, yes. and, and and standards through which we live. Um, yes. Right. And you know, and if you don't want to play by the rules, that's fine. But I don't want to play with you. You know, I mean, there's no right. sense, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, you know, if we decide we're going to play basketball and you decide, well, I want to play basketball by my rules, which means I can pick up the ball and run with it. And okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I don't want to dribble. Not, so I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, all right, that's not basketball. You can go do something else. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, stay off of the court yeah. where the grownups are playing. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so how does this, how does this relate to the Enneagram for you? <laughs> uh, I must, I must choked on the largeness of that question, right? Uh, <laughs> so the Enneagram is a way of recognizing how we misperceive ourselves and the world. Mm -hmm. okay. It's a model of fundamentally nine different ways of misperception. Okay. So it acknowledges right from the start, the same thing that every other wisdom tradition acknowledges is that we do not see clearly. Mm -hmm. right? we, we see as through a glass darkly, as Paul wrote. Um, and there are objective methods for seeing more clearly. And the Enneagram is one of those objective methods. And, and by objective, I mean that 
there's a kind of core understanding that multiple people have agreed upon Mm -hmm. as representing the human condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, go ahead. And we've, I mean, and we've talked about this in past episodes. So if if you want, we go a little bit more in depth in the past. Um, But I think it's just important to keep reiterating why is this an Enneagram podcast yeah. and, and not just a philosophical mumbo jumbo yes. podcast. It, um, it, yeah. So why this topic applies to the Enneagram is because it's very easy for people to fall into a subjective position mm. when applying or theorizing about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So we can say, for example, just one simple uh, example would be, well, you know, my wife is a seven and my wife loves to decorate for Halloween. So all sevens like to decorate for Halloween. Right. Yeah. There's a flaw in that thinking. Okay. We can come up with theories about the origins of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And if we lack good epistemic tools, for evaluating the evidence for or against those claims, we end up perpetuating nonsense. For example, there's this big claim that's always been out there that the Enneagram is an ancient Sufi tool, Mm. except that nobody has ever found the roots of the Enneagram in Sufism. And there's a video out there with Claudio Naranjo saying, yeah, I just made that up. Uh, it's a video on YouTube called The Origin of the Enneagram with Claudio Naranjo and E.J. Yeah. Gold and somebody else. And you can look it up. And sure. he says, yeah, I was just trying to sell the idea. So I followed Oscar Wilde's advice to attribute it to somebody inf- famous. And I attribute it to the uh, Sufis. So, Thanks, dude. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. Appreciate so there's it. all these books are out there saying this is an ancient Sufi system. And we yeah. see it in all the magazines and all this stuff. And it's not. Mm-hmm. And it perpetuates because nobody says, wait a minute, how do we think about factual history? How do we think about history in a factual way? We can start associating the Enneagram with different schools of psychology. Mm. We can start making claims about childhood origins Mm -hmm. of the Enneagram types. And if we do so, but lack the epistemic tools to clearly evaluate that, right? then we're stuck. Last time, towards the end of our, our conversation, we were talking about the centers. Mm-hmm. Okay? And uh, something that came up in one of my trainings recently, somebody was saying, well, what about this idea that, you know, the uh, five, six, and seven are fear types, and the eight, nines, and ones are anger types, and the two, three, and four are shame types. Why mm-hmm. don't you teach that, and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, you know, to some extent, that's true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have a few ones in the program. Let's ask ones what they think about shame. Mm. Okay. Ones will talk to you all day about shame. Yeah. And they'll talk to you about anger. And they'll talk to you about a lot of other things as well. So that's a simple act of understanding how to falsify a hypothesis. Yeah. Right? Okay. Which most people don't take the time to do. Yeah. When it comes to the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Most people don't understand uh, confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. 
again, my wife, you know, decorating for Halloween. And so every time I see a seven who likes Halloween, see, sevens love Halloween, <laughs> except for all the sevens who can't stand Halloween. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. But so, so all of these biases, all of these ways of thinking shape our ability mm-hmm. to come up with good Enneagram theory and good Enneagram theory leads to good Enneagram practice. That's great. That's, that's a mic drop. Very nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there's in the next few episodes, there's, there's five, five episodes that we're going to be covering this, um, this topic. So what, what can people start looking forward to as far as topics? And then we'll dive into one of them. Sure. So I've always had an interest in philosophy. Um, I studied philosophy and theology as a young person and uh, in, in, in school. And when I started working as a, an executive coach and teaching the Enneagram and all these other sort of things, it became even more relevant. Um, it really became vivid for me when my um, first, my wife was pregnant with our first son and she was watching Oprah Winfrey and um, uh, they were talking about vaccines. Mm. Okay. A topic that 18, 19 years later is, you know, again, even more heated and confusing and, uh, um, you know, central to conversations than it was mm-hmm. even then. But they were warning against getting the MMR vaccine in particular. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started doing some research. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this whole anti-vaccine movement got started on a fraud. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did we talk about this last time? I think we, yeah, I think uh, you've shared this let me story back before. It. Yeah, let me back You have up. another let example. Me, let's, let, yeah, let's cancel that then. Okay. Yeah. So uh, cut out where I started talking about the childhood stuff. Okay, we'll just, yeah, yeah. you know, jump to here. Yeah, sorry. Um, let's see. Um, the question was basically, what are the five steps? Yeah. And yeah. then we'll jump into one. Yeah. So I've been fascinated with the tools for clear thinking for a long time and wanted to start incorporating it more into my work, both my Enneagram work and my work in organizations. And it is such a vast topic that I wanted to create a framework for um, structuring it, right? Yeah. And so I started thinking, okay, of the hundreds of books I've read on this or at least skimmed or, you know, on the podcast, all all this sort of stuff. Okay. How do you put some structure on this? And the structure I ended up with is a nested series of circles starting at the center with built-in biases. Mm -hmm. Okay. Structures of the brain that we have inherited through our evolutionary heritage that uh, impact our ability to see the world clearly. Okay. Circle number two is personality. Mm. This is where the Enneagram comes in. Okay. But personality is a filter. You're a four. You see the world through a particular lens. I'm an eight. I see the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so even though we're looking at the same thing, we see it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. And our personality can present a set of biases that get in the way of us seeing clearly. The third circle is culture. 
Okay. Now, culture comes at many different levels, right? There's a family culture, mm-hmm. right? There is a regional culture. There's a national culture. There's organizational cultures. And culture is, I'll think of it as a broader manifestation of personality, right? It's a group mm-hmm. personality. I think of personality, the Enneagram strategies in particular, as problem-solving strategies, for interacting with the world. Culture is the same way. It's an agreed upon way of solving a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Problem of time, right? The problem of, you know, authority. I think I might even mention these last time, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, culture can be a filter. You're from the Midwest. I'm from the Northeast. The different cultures. Yeah. We see the world differently. Very much. Uh, We're we're angrier and more aggressive (laughs) than than you folks are, right? So, (laughs) uh, we're just passive aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. We're just aggressive aggressive. Yeah, there um, is. So, so culture provides a filter. Uh, The third thing is our ignorance. Okay. Things we don't know stop us from seeing things that are right in front of us. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, oh, to be or not to be, that's the question. Uh, Well, if you never heard of Shakespeare, you're not going to get that reference. It's mm-hmm. not going to bring in the depth of that question, the significance right. of that question mm-hmm. because of your ignorance. Okay. Yes. Um, and finally, misinformation. Okay. We carry all the information in the world in our pockets. Mm. Okay. And 70, 80, 90% of it is wrong. Mm, yeah. There's a huge amount of misinformation out there. So information or misinformation distorts our perception of things. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this can even apply at the Enneagram level, right? So if, if, for example, I'm interacting with you and I have in my mind, okay, Creek's a one. Okay? Mm. And I see you doing things that are out of character with a one. Mm. I have a choice. I can question is he really a one or maybe I mistyped him or mm. you know, maybe he mistyped himself or something. Or I can say, you know, if he's a one and he's doing that, he's a jerk. <laughs> and I've seen this happen before, right? You know, I've, I've got a friend who, you know, um, you, you always said he was a nine mm. and he would do things that just for a nine, it's like, man, I, I you know, mm. that just doesn't resonate. He must be, angry or doing something or whatever. Yeah. And then I realized he's a five. And now yeah. all of a sudden his behavior all made sense. It was in a different context mm. and it didn't bother me anymore because I realized there was nothing behind it that was causing this out of character behavior. It was just doing what he does. Okay? Right. So misinformation, even in this can distort us, let alone misinformation about you know, vaccine and our finances, our health, sure. you know, our, our, our jobs, et cetera. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have these five um, spheres mm-hmm. of obstacles that build off of each other. And each one of those has a, um, a, a body of tools related to uh, mitigating the damage that they do. Yeah. Okay? So in my work, I like to start off with understanding these built-in obstacles, okay, these built-in biases that shape human nature independent of all the other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. How do you, real quick, how do you normally order these? Do you go from 
bias to misinformation or like the other way? Um, biases. I start off with the biases. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you want to get into that? Get into yeah, the bias well, well, for this one? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, let, let's do that. And, um, and, but ask that question because it's, it's, it's a good one and I can explain why ah, I start. Okay. There. Why? Okay. Yeah. Um, wait, where is it? I'm forgetting the order. Um, bias. Uh, built in biases, personality, culture, ignorance, misinformation. Yeah. Um, so you have a particular order of that. You explain these in the built in bias, personality, culture, ignorance, and misinformation. Why do we go from like a smaller circle to a bigger circle? Why not go the other direction? Yeah. My experience is that you can't correct misinformation if you if people don't understand how the other biases, the other factors, starting mm -hmm. with the built-in biases, anchor misinformation in people's brains. Okay. Okay. And so if we don't understand, for example, confirmation bias, mm. we don't know, we're, we're stripped of one tool for recognizing misinformation. Hmm. Okay. So I have found that this is the, the most uh, um, uh, effective way of helping people hmm. deal with misinformation when they understand why they're so susceptible to it. Hmm. Okay. We, I should say we, not they, we yeah. all are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, and it makes sense to me. I mean, if, you, if you're able to picture this image of uh, concentric circles, the if you go through the list as you get further and further inside the the concentric circles it's harder and harder to accept that you have been fooled like yeah. misinformation you find out diff different information like it's like oh, oh okay cool and then and then ignorance it then you have to kind of admit that you don't know something and there's like some shame involved culture it's well it's always been this this is how i've grown up personality we're getting even deeper into the layers and then the biases i imagine are the hardest ones to address because they are the most uh instinctual and most related to our safety would that would you consider that accurate yes uh i i i would and the the understanding the built-in biases and structures of the brain are the most disorienting mm -hmm. for people, right? Memory, for example, okay? Yeah. Um, memory is a great topic and one that really disrupts people because we all think our memory is really good, okay? Now, we might say, oh, yeah, I can never remember where my keys are and I can't, mm -hmm. you know, remember the names of the presidents, that sort of thing, so I've got a terrible memory. But when you ask somebody to talk about their childhood, they'll give you... Uh, uh, memories mm. and be pretty confident that those memories are real. Mm -hmm. When in fact, most of our memories are at best distorted, right? And at worst, completely wrong, manufactured, false, okay? Uh, and highly unreliable. There's great literature on this. Elizabeth Loftus is a woman. She has a great TED Talk and uh, has done really interesting work on this. A guy named Daniel Schachter wrote a book, The Seven Sins of Memory. Mm. But 
when you talk to people and say, you know, your memory is, you know, most of your memories are not as accurate as you think they are. Now you're into the matrix in a sense, right? Because, you know, you're asking yourself, wait a minute, are you telling me, you know, I took the blue pill or whatever pill the bad one is, you know, I can never remember the red pill, the blue pill, yeah, yeah. matrix, but are you telling me that these memories I have are illusory, right. unreliable? Yes. And that, <laughs> yeah, well, I am, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, and that freaks people out. Yeah. Because Understandably if, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And if I cannot trust my memory, what can I trust? Mm. Okay. And it feels like the foundation is being ripped out from under me. Right. I think it, to me, it would make sense because the past is often where we gain most of our information on how to survive into the future. Yes. And so when you're like, this isn't accurate, then how am I supposed to actually function? Yes. Um, who I am is based on my past experiences. If I can't trust that, then who am I? So it's a, it, yes. I think it gets existential real quick. It, it absolutely does. And now I'm not saying you can't trust anything, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we do have, you know, video, you know, recordings of events, right. uh, people journal, you know, I always tell people uh, get good at taking notes, right? Mm. Because those are the things that could teach. There was a great psychology experiment. This psychology professor did, um, after the first space shuttle exploded back in the, the Reagan era. And he asked his college psychology students to write down what they were doing when they found out that the space shuttle exploded. Hmm. He follows up with them two years later and asks them to write down what they were doing when the space shuttle exploded. And a number of people had different stories, right? Wow. At, at the moment, they would say, you know, I was sitting in the living room with my parents, the news came on, whatever it was. And then two years later, they'd say, oh, yeah, I was at school and this happened or that happened. And when he would confront those who had differing mm. narratives, most of them would question the one they wrote the day after <laughs> the event, right? And <laughs> And... And they'd say, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, that looks like my handwriting. Mm. But I, I didn't write that because I know this is what happened. Wow. Okay. And that's the way the mind works, mm. right? Because every time we access a memory, we're not accessing the event itself. Mm -hmm. We are accessing our last recollection of the right. event. And there are copying errors and there are other things that get snuck in here and there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been teaching the Enneagram for, you know, 20 plus years, and I've been telling some stories for, mm -hmm. you know, over a decade. Mm -hmm. And it's at the point where I don't know if those stories ever actually happened to me <laughs> or if I'm just remembering a story I told up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and once we get over the disorientation of that, it actually becomes quite liberating mm. because we realize that there's no reason to be trapped by the past. And we can create the now and create the future. Yeah. But if we keep assuming the past is something fixed and locked and what we believe it to be, mm -hmm. then we keep getting pulled back to it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't help to think about our childhood events and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff, but we need to hold them lightly. Mm-hmm. 
And we need to ask ourselves, okay, here's the way I'm perceiving this right now. What is the message I can take out of my perception or reaction to Mm. what I'm thinking about in relationship to this old experience? Right. right. So that's just one example of how disorienting, but also liberating and empowering Mm. understanding these biases can be. Yeah. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to screw this up, but basically they were talking about Batman uh-huh. and how more than likely how he remembered his parents getting shot was not at all accurate. Right. And and there's theories out there that actually Batman is the one in the institution and Joker is just one of the guards. <laughs> and then in another in another theory, it's it's uh, they were just talking about Bruce Wayne, insanely rich person, but he chooses to buy all this tech and gadgets, and alone goes out and fights the baddies when he could just like invest in schools <laughs> and all this other stuff and actually fix the problem. Right, but he right. has to be violent and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, and 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 so for me it's it's also one of the reasons why I'm so reluctant to talk about childhood events as related to our enneagram type. Mm. Right. Oh, I'm an eight because this happened and that happened. And, you know, my mother didn't love me enough or my mother loved me too much or whatever Mm. the the theory goes. I I don't know. You know, Mm. who knows? Right. Mm -hmm. I know what my felt experience was. Right. But as far as a matter of fact, you know, who who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, uh, a fact does matter. I, I like keeping those two things separate. Is that maybe that's a way of putting it? Is like the fact of it does matter, but how I'm experiencing it right now today is actually the thing that's more affecting how yeah. I live and and work. Well, l- l- let me give an example. Yeah, yeah. So, so I know somebody who is a, a four, okay? mm. um, and um, and you know what they're like. <laughs> so he would always tell this story. So he, he struggled to read. Mm. Okay? And, uh, you know, and I, I think there might be a dyslexia thing going on there mm-hmm. or, or something. I, you know, I don't know. But sure. um, he would always attribute it to um, when he was born, the doctor had to use forceps to extract him mm-hmm. from the womb. And it damaged his eye. And impaired his ability to read. And he would always talk about how when he was born, he was permanently disfigured for life. Okay. Now you you look at him and you don't see a thing, right? It's a good looking guy, you know, looks normal in every way, but he would always talk about being permanently disfigured for life. Okay. Which you can imagine a four, you know, really loving embracing, you know, (laughs) right. This explains finally justification. Exactly. Right. And so I'm listening to him tell the story one time when his mother was there. Mm. Now, he was probably in his late 40s at the time, and he tells this story about being permanently disfigured for life when he was born. And his mother says, what on earth are you talking about? What disfigurement do you have? And he said, you know, when I was born and the doctor used the forceps. And she said, the doctor didn't use forceps when you were born. And he said, yes, he did. That's why my eyes messed up. And she said, no, it didn't happen. 
I was there. I remember, uh, wow. you know, and, and so somewhere Whew. along the line, he had picked up this story that became part of his rationale, mm. not only for his challenge to read, but also the limitation that he faced, the, the handicap that he entered the world with. Mm. Right? Now, it's important to understand that he believes this, mm -hmm. right? But th where the matter of fact comes in is that when you get the fact that this didn't actually happen, mm -hmm. you can now work on the subjective experience in a more liberating, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an easier way. Mm -hmm. Because now it becomes not, well, I was permanently disfigured for life when I was born, but mm -hmm. Oh, I believe this, but it's not really true. So yeah. let me start working with the implications. Okay. So this is why one of the reasons why facts matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't invalidate our felt sense of something, but it gives us more space to work with that felt sense of something when we have our facts right. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. And and what how you I mean, how you teach the Enneagram where it's don't try to stop being your stop doing your strategy right it's like how do we how do we use this energy in a adaptive an adaptive yes. way yeah. um giving it some space instead yes. of trying to work against it and, and prove it wrong or whatever yes um almost in his first book his first essence book, mm -hmm. um uh, writes that we need to work on clarifying the ego mm -hmm. not getting rid of it right so you word. can't get rid of it mm -hmm. you can't get rid of this strategy it's just ain't gonna happen mm -hmm. okay i've i've been in the presence of the dalai lama twice and the guy's a seven mm -hmm. okay you know if if he still carries his sevenness with him you know I, there's no hope for me i can tell you that right uh you know yeah. so i can't speak for other people but yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm giving up on that dream so um so but to your point we can get freedom from it we can change what it means we can develop a more expansive adaptive positive pro-social definition of it mm -hmm. and then change our behaviors to give us the freedom to act Yes. in ways that are consistent with that new definition of it. Yes. Wonderful. Have we hit on the biases yet? I, no. I feel like we've, we've barely kind of, started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so say, so, so, so say, bring it, uh, why don't you say, yeah, let's yeah. bring it back to this, uh, you know, uh, where, where do these biases come from? The obstacle. Yeah. So let, let's bring it back around to uh, the first obstacle here, which is our biases. Yeah. And how does this relate to the Enneagram again? And, and, and what are the ways we can um, see these things and work through them? If we want to understand human nature, we have to understand the impact of evolution on our condition. We have to understand that the brains, the bodies that we have are the result of evolutionary pressures and forces that have been at work for millions and millions of years. Mm -hmm. And we are the result of adaptations that worked to increase the probability of our ancestors reproducing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, 
these are not necessarily adaptations that help us see clearly. Because sometimes having biases serve as protective mechanisms to help keep us alive. Mm -hmm. If I see dangers when it's not there, Mm -hmm. or when they're not there, I will more likely stay away from dangers than if I didn't see dangers that were there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Evolution is a game of probabilities and increasing the probability of reproduction. Mm -hmm. So we have all these mechanisms in our brain that increased the probability of our ancestors reproducing Mm -hmm. that may not necessarily work for us today. Mm -hmm. We live in a much more complex, subtle, and nuanced world. Our ancestors only had to you know, don't get eaten, find food, make babies, right? Mm-hmm. Life was pretty simple. Okay? Yeah. Um, much more complicated for us now. Mm-hmm. But most of our inherent impulses, our inherent drives, and the way we process information are better suited for don't get eaten, find food, make babies. Okay. So we tend to fall into, uh, first thing we have to think about is uh, what Daniel Kahneman and the um, um, the um, behavioral econom- ec- economists referred to as um, the two systems of thinking, thinking fast and slow. Mm-hmm. Okay? Thinking fast is heuristic base. Okay. I see a rustling in the, in the, in the bushes run. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't stop to think what it is. Brain says, rustling in bushes, predator run. Yeah. Okay. Slow thinking is thoughtful, deliberate, slow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. If I can give it. Rust- go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. If I can give a, a, a personal example here, I mean, traveling right now quite a bit. Yeah. And as everyone knows, traveling is always uh, rather anxiety producing. Mm-hmm. Um, many new stimuli, lots of different things. Um, so, it, and I'm, I'm really, I'm noticing the difference between this trip and last and the last couple of big trips that I've been on is slow thinking has engaged more where in the past I get into a stressful situation, my head's whipping around all over the place, but I'm not seeing anything Yes, when it's right smack dab in front of me. Um, and when I get into that, where's, where's it, where's it, where's it? And then I freak out, nothing gets done. So finding that sort of the slow thinking, making the next logical step and just like, Hey, let's stop. You can, you can spare five seconds to read the sign instead of just flashing your eyes all over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, and, and both slow thinking and fast thinking have benefits and they Absolutely. have a place, right? Yeah. When you were, for example, driving a car, you want to be doing fast thinking, right? You want to mm-hmm. be reacting automatically rather than deliberately, right? You don't want to ask, okay, should I move my foot from the gas to the brake? <laughs> right. No, you just yeah. do it. Okay. <clears throat> right. So they both have their role. They both have their place. The problem is when we do the wrong one at the wrong time, mm. right? We do slow thinking when we should do fast thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? Hmm, maybe I should step on the brake. Or we do fast thinking when we should do slow thinking. Okay, let me take a moment. Look at this map. 
rather than just yeah. react. Yeah. Or this guy cut me off. Let me re-rent him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So step number one is recognizing that we have this tendency to sometimes think fast and sometimes think slow. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to understand that mm-hmm. before we can learn to manage it. Yeah. And ask ourselves, okay, should I be doing system two thinking here? Mm-hmm. Okay. So understanding the concept is critical, right? And then learning to manage and apply it is the thing. So, so number one, we have fast thinking, slow thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Issue number two that we need to be aware of is cognitive dissonance. Okay. It's the stress we feel when we encounter something that goes against our belief, mm. okay? pre-existing belief about ourselves, about the world, about somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay? We all think we're good people. Mm-hmm. Okay? I think I'm a good person, right? I think mm-hmm. I tend to do the right thing, um, you know, eventually. Um, <laughs> you know what? Let me just call fails, your wife right? real quick. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um. When everything else fails, he'll, he'll do the right thing. Um, so when somebody confronts me to say, you know, that thing you did caused me pain, mm. my initial reaction is, no, no, I, I no. Uh, it couldn't have caused you pain because bad people cause pain. I'm a good person. So what I did must not have been bad. Uh, right. Right. So we all tend to find ways to make the dissonance go away. And in this case, I believe I'm a good person, but I'm being confronted with, you know, having done something hurtful. We make that go away by either deliberately or unintentionally rejecting the new data. If I can flip that on its head a little bit, I would say on, on the foresight of things, at least, um, I know I'm a good person. If someone says that I hurt them, then I assume that I'm a bad person. Yes. So there, there's still a resolution there. It doesn't always yes. go the other way. Exactly right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I should be careful about saying that everybody thinks they're a good person. I, I, I will say that everybody ultimately thinks they're doing the right thing. Right? Uh, nobody, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody gets up in the morning and says, yeah, I'm going to do the wrong thing today. Mm-hmm. Right? Even Hitler, you know, sure. thought he was doing the right thing. Right. right. Um, so, so cognitive dissonance is a powerful force. A great book called, um, uh, mistakes were made, but not by me, by mm-hmm. um, uh, Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson. I recommend everybody read. Um, it's this idea that it's going to be my tendency to reject things I don't want to hear. Now, how does this apply to the Enneagram? Okay, I've got a theory of the Enneagram that says, you know, we talked last time about all eights having big chins, right? Um, well, Mario doesn't have big chin, so he must not be an eight, right? Mm. Or, you know, Creek is, you know, not a slight person, so he can't be a four because all fours are slight. And so we just do this all the time over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Instead of questioning our initial assumptions, Mm. we reject the new information. And most of the time we're doing this in a way that we're not even aware of. We don't Mm. even see ourselves doing it. And this is the tricky thing because – We're blind Mm -hmm. to the way in which our mind resolves cognitive dissonance most of the time. Yeah. I can see it in you, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I I struggle to see it myself. 
I think another way that shows up is, yeah, there is a rejection of new information. Um, I find within myself and, and some of my, some of my friends, it's, there's almost, um, I don't want to reject anything. And I think that's also the same thing. Like I want to include all the information is like, yeah, that's possible. Right. Sure. That's possible. And then I end up confusing myself and having nothing to stand on and yes. not really knowing anything. Yes. Yes. Because the prior assumption is keep an open mind mm -hmm. and all points of view bring something of value. Mm -hmm. And how do I know what's really true versus sure. what somebody else has yeah. to say? Right. So, um, so you're absolutely right. This works in lots of different ways. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so it helps us to understand what assumptions are we operating under unconsciously mm -hmm. okay. as an eight. I tend to make assumptions about how people should be in the world, about how I should be in the world, about what's the right way to engage in a situation. And I will reflexively reject suggestions to the contrary of mm. those things. And so I have to remind myself, okay, if this is causing me to feel a little bit of dissonance in any way, if I'm having some re emotional reaction to this, it's a sign that I should step back and think about it, step into, into system two mm. and question, right? So nobody likes to feel dissonance. Dissonance means stress, right? Tension. Mm -hmm. So the way we make that go away are through a whole list of cognitive biases, mm. okay? Confirmation bias is the most obvious example, okay? Um you know, all fours are musicians, mm. right? Well, Creek's a four. He's a musician, yep. you know. My brother-in-law's a four. He's a musician, you mm. know. So all fours are musicians. And what happens in confirmation bias is I only see the fours who are musicians. Right. And my brain doesn't register the fours who are not mm -hmm. musicians. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I see people do this with the Enneagram all the time. Oh, my gosh. Right. All the time. Yeah. We just assume because I know three fours who are musicians and fours are musicians. Yeah. Okay. I can't tell you the amount of times someone's like, oh, what's your Enneagram type? I'm like, four. It's like, oh, that makes sense. You're an artist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm yeah. just going to move on. Yeah. Not even going <laughs> to. Exactly. Exactly right. Okay. And, and this is, you know, again, this is all about, you know, how does this lead to good Enneagram theory? Mm -hmm. Well, if we don't understand our confirmation biases at play, then I'm just going to keep regurgitating mm -hmm. the same nonsense I've heard from somebody on an Enneagram podcast or, you know, mm -hmm. on an Enneagram book or something like that. Right. right yeah. Um, so confirmation bias is one. Um, the anchoring bias is, is another meaning that we grab uh, or uh, no, I'm sorry. The, the, let me go to the uh, availability mm -hmm. heuristic first. The availability heuristic is, if I want to think about fours, my mind immediately goes to the last four I talked to, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I start extrapolating from that. So somebody tells me there are four, Seth Creekmore pops to mind, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because that's a four. And so I start viewing them or perceiving them in terms of, you know, how they relate to you or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's an anchoring bias, meaning I get an idea stuck in my head and I can't move far from that. Okay. Um, salespeople know this all the time. Salespeople, if they want to get a lot of money out of you, 
they give a high number, mm-hmm. right? A high price because they know that now they have anchored what the conversation is about. It's within a certain percentage of that number, yeah. okay, up or down. But if you go in and you give a much lower number, you have now anchored the conversation mm. at a lower level. Now, again, when it comes to the Enneagram, um, one of the ways this plays out is people get in their head. uh, Well, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a five. Mm -hmm. And so they start now when people interact with them, they start to see them as a five. Mm -hmm. They can't see all the things that don't fit that person's assession, assert, uh, assessment of themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you take these things together, an anchoring bias, a confirmation bias, you get people who can give you all the evidence in the world, talk for days about why they are a type that they actually are not. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Be- because there's a whole ton of evidence to support it. Mm-hmm. Except for all the evidence that doesn't. Support, right? <laughs> so we have to understand these biases. We have to understand these traps of processing information that we fall into. And then the tools for overcoming those traps. Mm-hmm. If we want, number one, to be good theorists. Okay. Number two, to be good teachers. Okay. And number three, to be good students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are, there, there are a handful of things you can do to get started on this. Mm-hmm. So we should probably prob- talk about what that handful of things are. Y- y- yes. I'm thinking, but part of me I feel there's some really good juice here. I feel like we've opened a can of worms in some in some level, but we don't have enough time for a proper exploration of that said can mm-hmm. um, within this episode. Um, yeah. Um, do we want to continue exploring that can of worms uh, next time? Or- y- yes. I think so, but I'm, I want to figure out how to end this where it makes sense logically. Um, so maybe, tell me what the. Oh, go ahead. Well, we 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 said five episodes. I can cut that out if we need to. But if this episode is about more like an introduction to these ideas and why it's important. Blah blah blah. And we've gotten into biases. Um, you said you say bias, but biases. Is it biases? Whatever. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And now we're into confirmation bias, all that. Um, hmm. The can of worms I'm referring to is the handful of things and how to, how to fix it and like the other biases that are present. And I don't know. I'm looking at the list here that you sent. I mean, there's all sorts of them. So, do you want to go through all of these, like the jumping, naive realism, the leaps of inference, motivated reasoning? Um, 
so we can if we do i think there's um uh, you know it probably makes sense to pick it up next time mm-hmm. we started you know we can start where we started talking about biases mm-hmm. there are some other things you talk about in your book you know that sure. we can talk about right and then talk about some of those other things and then uh uh move into some of the um the the fixes for mm-hmm. right maybe that can okay. be our next episode do you think you could sum up the rest leap of inference all the rest of them shortly and then yeah. we can like yeah we're going to talk about these in more depth and the tools in which we can address it in the next episode yeah so and uh, yes yes okay. because so here's what i'd like to do mm-hmm. uh, well, here, well not, not what i'd like to do yeah here's here's what makes sense. sense so i can kind of give a quick overview of those mm-hmm. other things and then next time we can talk about how they can influence enneagram thought okay like a leap of inference for example you know mm-hmm. uh, um, and then go into some of the um uh, uh, solutions right that's um, great okay that makes sense all right cool um so we've been mainly focusing on on a couple of these biases but there's there's many more many many more yes um can you give us a quick list of what those are um and then next episode we'll we'll step into more how do we deal with these um and no 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 um how do they influence our yeah. thinking about the Enneagram? Yeah. And how they influence our thinking about the Enneagram. Sure. So the list of cognitive biases is as long as your arm, right? You can go mm-hmm. on Wikipedia and find, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of different kinds of cognitive biases. There are also what I think of as related phenomena that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily classically considered cognitive biases, but they are ways in which our brain works that cloud our thinking and mm. um you know and there are things there the reason i don't put this in the same category as personality or separate this is because what we're talking about today are things that affect everybody mm-hmm. right whereas in personality now we start getting distinguished a little bit right mm-hmm. so you're a four i'm a four, i'm an eight it looks different so some of the things that are also relevant here are number one motivated reasoning Okay, our tendency to reason toward a place where we want to be mm-hmm. rather than toward where the facts take us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the other thing is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect has fallen under some criticism lately as to whether it's an actual effect or not. But it's basically the idea that people tend to overestimate their competence mm-hmm when they lack competence right so mm-hmm. the less we know about something the more competent we confident we tend to be in our confidence and the more we know about something the more we doubt our competence mm-hmm. okay a great musician will tell you i don't know anything about music right yeah. compared to what there is to know right some fool who's just picked up a guitar thinks he's Jimi hendrix right so <laughs> you know so um right uh. so so and this applies to all sorts of areas I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay? Uh, so we got motivated reasoning. We've got Dunning Kruger effect, uh, leaps of inference. Something I see a huge number of times in Enneagram theory. Well, you know this system 
is based on three or nine. So there must be a connection. Hmm. No, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Let's look at the data. Okay. Um, the fundamental attribution error, our tendency to make broad assumptions based on single data points mm-hmm. and others, as well as our tendency to attribute um, behaviors to character rather than circumstance. Um, self-deception. Robert Trivers' work on self-deception is huge. We, there is an evolutionary advantage to deceiving ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because if I can deceive me, I can deceive you mm. yeah. much more easily. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Uh, so there are a lot of these elements of built-in biases that are important to understand, not only for our self-development, but for how we think about the Enneagram mm-hmm. and how we evaluate claims about the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. This is really great. Um, so definitely, um, I'm really looking forward to next week where we actually get to, uh, we're going to leave people a week of just like seeing all the ways that their cognitive dissonance is just ruining their lives and they don't know what to do with it. So tune in next week so we can save your life. Um, the good news is they'll forget about it eventually, right? So we've already <laughs> talked about how unreliable memory is. So that's true. That's you know, true. in ten years, it won't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we need to come off, come like, come up with a sign off of some sort. Um, without being cheesy. <laughs> Tune in next time. I got nothing. So um, with that, thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. We can we can add something in post. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly, right. whenever I think of something more scripted, the thing that comes in my head is is Beatrice and Uranio's podcast and how oh my insanely God. cheesy it is. Oh, okay, good. So you, all right. So I have not listened to their podcast. I have to tell you, but I have seen their act, and I, you know, I was just. What you know? So Beatrice, what do you yeah. think about that? You know, <laughs> the you know, yeah. Ooh, man. Are we robots? <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that from other people. Uh, I um, I don't know if you heard the first few episodes, but they had. Basically, I have. I've never listened. To it. Yeah. yeah. The music. Oh no. Hmm. It sounds like they hired somebody to write an enneagram rap song. Oh no! And they played the entire song before they started the episode. Oh my god! It was so painful. Whoa! So, so bad. They've regressed into just having the music now, but still, it's just. <laughs> uh, you know, um, related to that, uh, um, Lukovic sent me an email. Uh, saying, uh, hey, I enjoyed, you know, our conversation the other day. I'd like to send you a copy of my book. You know, what's your address? Oh, that's uh, kind of him.
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> going to use it to light your uh, cigars? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, mm. I'll read it in the way I read, you know, a lot of things is yeah. kind of dip into it and glance through it. But <laughs> I, I, I saw, I saw something on, um, um, Facebook the other day, a, a page from his book that somebody posted talking about what a genius, brilliant book it was. Mm. And it's uh, the mistake he, well, not the mistake he makes, the angle he is taking is rooted in this Gurdjieffian mm. spiritual assumptions um, that are just you know they're 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 faith statements right right and so okay i can either accept that or reject it mm -hmm. you, you know mm -hmm. because it's just a faith statement yeah and i choose to reject it because it doesn't help me mm -hmm. right um so i you know i don't know i mean i'll, I'll you know and i think it makes it makes sense for you to be at least familiar with it because no doubt yeah. Whether he, yeah, whether we like it or not, people are going to compare, and he's going to he's going to shape instincts for my generation. Yeah, I think as, yeah, hmm. um, yeah. I haven't decided if I'm going to get it or not. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, when I get it, I'll share my thoughts. I told him I would give him feedback uh, on it. Um, mm. I, I shouldn't have because I'm I'm you know he didn't ask for it. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I, I assume that's implied if you're going to send me the book, you know, Seriously. it's, you know, there's a, you know, a, a hope for mm -hmm. some reaction or um, something, but yeah, I don't know. And, and there might be some good stuff in there. I don't know. I mean, I can't prejudge it. Um, you know, if you hear anything from Russ on what he thinks of it, I would be very interested to hear about that. Mm. I actually, I should just ask Russ because, um, yeah. uh, because I, you know, I can say I did this session with him and, uh, hmm. um, you know, um, you know, does he have any thoughts? He's going to send me the book. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Crazy All world. Right. All right. So, so, uh, my schedule is starting to lighten up a little bit, okay. so, uh, I'm okay to, you know, uh, do another one, you know, early next week, maybe even do two next week. If we have time, uh, okay. you know, I'll, I'll leave it to your availability. Sure. Um, and, um, so I'm, I'm liking where this is going. It's feeling mm -hmm. like we're getting, yep. you know, a, a sense of direction here. So, yeah. And I, I feel, I mean, now that I'm in the UK, I, I, I feel like I'm going to have All right. All right, Creek. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I should have stopped that a while.